This morning we're going to be looking uh, again at John's Gospel. And our reading comes from John chapter 1, beginning at verse 35. A passage of scripture that down throughout the church history, earlier than Christostom, but he's the, the earliest one that I read, through Augustine, Calvin, Luther, they point to this passage as one of the ways in which the Apostle John describes for the people he's writing to, and particularly for the church as they read this, whilst John's gospel is there to help people to understand and see who Christ is that they might come to faith, there's also this understanding that it's written to the church, and the church is to examine the document and learn from it. And those writers and the commentators down through church history have looked at this passage and commented that it's, it's something that the church, as it looks at, as it reads, is, is described for it ways that people might have of coming to Christ, ways that the church might be involved in witnessing, finding people and bringing them that they might see Jesus. So if you are a follower of Jesus, then read it in that light. That's one of the reasons it's been written, that you might understand how it is that you too can be involved in this process of helping people to see Jesus, like John the Baptist, like Andrew, like Philip, like Christ himself. If you're not a follower of Jesus, then what John is writing about here is much the same way to show what happens when people meet Jesus. He wants those who, who listen to this, who read this for themselves, to see that when people have an encounter with Christ, their lives are changed. Christ meets them where they are and he brings them to be a follower of his because they themselves identify and see who Jesus is. So as we're reading this this morning, think about it in those two ways, depending on whether you're a follower already, that you might learn from this ways that you too can find people and bring them to Jesus. And if you are not yet a follower, the examples here are to say that as people met Jesus, wherever they were, and they truly examined who he was, they took time to actually meet with him, their lives were changed. Let's read, beginning at verse 35, John chapter 1. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which, when translated, is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip 
like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than that. He then added, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the word of God. Let's just pray and ask God that he might encourage us and challenge us as we read his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have brought your word to us, that we have an opportunity to read it, that we have an opportunity to study it, that we have an opportunity to meditate on it, that you've sent your spirit that we might be led into all truth and in understanding what it is that you're saying to us, your church, and to us as individuals. Father, I pray that those who don't yet know Jesus might be encouraged to come and see who Jesus is, to take a good look, to spend time coming to know about Christ and that you might help them to recognize who Jesus is, your Son, our Saviour. Father, and for those of us who know you, I pray that you might continue to encourage us to be people who witness to Jesus, who point people to Christ, who bring people to Christ, that as they meet with him, they might know who he is and they might respond in faith. Father, I pray these things in Jesus' holy and wonderful name. Amen. So again, rushing through a little bit. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. Where again? He was where he had been in the previous time. The last part of the John's gospel is where he had seen Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And John purposefully, in, in the tenses that are involved here, takes his followers to that same place where they will see Jesus walking by. He intentionally brings folk to that place where they might again behold Christ that he can point them to him. The first way, I think descriptively here, that John is talking about, that we as the Christian folk are to be involved in helping people to understand and come to faith, know who Jesus Christ is, is that we take the opportunity to bring people into that place where they might hear and see Christ. 
this passage talks about four different ways, well, as you read all the commentators. And in this passage, there's the understanding that we as folk are to allow people to have that opportunity to see Jesus, that we can point them to him. People would suggest that here is that method of evangelism, a word that we're very afraid of, where we bring people under the sound of the gospel. If you like, we bring them into that place where Jesus' preaching is done. We invite people to church. We invite people to an alpha group. We invite them to our home group. We invite them into a discussion where they might hear about Jesus, where they might understand the gospel. If, if there are those who are here in the church today who don't yet know Christ, this is one of those places, there are others, where you have an opportunity with the reading of Scripture, with the singing of songs, to understand more about who Jesus is, where you can think on him. John says to his disciples, Behold the Lamb of God. That's the guy I'm talking about. That's the one. Their response to that is to go and check him out. When people come and hear about Jesus, their response is to check him out. Now, these people obviously were open to the gospel. They were open to hear about Jesus because they had come and they were John's disciples. A lot of the people that we invite to church, that we invite to our home group, that we ask to an alpha course, are already open. Not necessarily decided. But what it is, is they say, yes, I'm, I want to find out what Jesus is like. It doesn't mean that they're saying, I'm going to follow him. But they're saying, yeah, I'm happy to find out what Jesus is like. And so John says, that's the guy. Their response. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. You allow people the opportunity to find out who Jesus is. They go and evaluate him. Check out what he's like. I encourage you. If, if you've got friends, if you've got family, if you've got people who are in any way open to the gospel, invite them. Invite them into the sound of the gospel. If you, you might not be comfortable to be the one to share with them, to point them to Christ, but there are lots of opportunities to do that. Take that opportunity. Hopefully we'll have an Alpha course later in the year again. Invite them. Find them that they can come and just hear about Christ. What's the response to this? When the two disciples heard and they followed Jesus, turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? What do you want? They said, Rabbi, where are you staying? Two things I think are important just briefly to pick out of this. The first of them is Jesus' response is to inquire of them what are their needs, where are they at. That, it seems, is the place where he wants to meet them. From the early time, people have made the connection between this and God's response to Adam and Eve in the garden. Adam and Eve sin and they've come away from God. They're hiding up in the trees. God doesn't come down and say, you wicked sinners, get out here. He says, where are you? He allows graciously, if you like, that response. He wants them to enter into a dialogue that he can talk with them and express to them what he's like and what his requirements are. And Jesus does the same thing here with his disciples. 
What do you want? Throughout the rest of the gospel, John keeps and repeats these sayings of Christ where he talks about, I'm the bread of life. I'm the living water. Those things that you need, that you require for life and for life in all of its fullness, I will provide for you. And so he meets with people. He doesn't just hammer straight in there. And by the way, your sin is, I'm going to die on the cross. You need to repent. Come to me. So often that's our evangelism. We walk out there and we bang the gospel straight down on there. What John does, he says, that's Jesus. Go and find out about him. I know what he's like, what he's done, who he is. And they said, where are you staying? Now, there's a whole lot of um, cultural context here in terms of people who are deciding to follow a a master, a teacher. And that, that, that whole interplay of who can ask, can I be your follower? And who can say, you can follow me? So there's partly that in there. I don't want to go into too much detail, but if you're interested in that, have a read of some of the commentaries that are out there. If you don't have any, I've got a few. Daryl's got lots. Um, he's got a lot more than me. Go and have, have, have a read of some of that. It's, it just helps to understand this a little bit more. But pretty much what they're saying is, we want to spend time with you. That They're waiting for him to initiate the call, come with me. That's part of the context. But what they're asking is they're saying, we want to spend some time with you. More than anything, they're saying, we want to check you out. They're not not on the spot saying, we're going to be your follower. But they're saying, we want to spend some time checking you out. And Jesus' response is, come and you will see. In the idiom, it's more like, yeah, come and evaluate. Come and check it out. Come and spend some time with me. First thing, bring people to the sound of the gospel. Understand that when you do, they have an opportunity to see who Jesus is. He's not, he wants to meet them where they are and he wants to give an opportunity for people to see him as he is. I find it fascinating in each of these stories, there's four of them, we don't get the conversation and we don't get a statement of their conversion experience. What we do is we have this understanding that as they meet with Jesus, they're changed. We don't have all the hows and wherefores of what to say to different people. All we have is this constant commentary, come and let people meet with Jesus. And as they meet with Jesus, their lives are changed. So they went and they saw where he was staying and they spent the day with him doesn't say what he talked about, what he shared with them, but he spent the afternoon probably a meal with them. And then we have the response, the outcome of that. Andrew, Simon's Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and had followed Jesus. One of these guys, the outcome of them spending time with Jesus was to find his brother Simon and say, we found the Messiah. He came as he spent time with Christ to understand who Jesus was. He said, we found the Messiah. And he brought him to Jesus. He went and he told his family, I found Jesus. And I want you to come and meet him. Second type of witness that we do is that familial witness. That going to those people whom we love, who are related to us in our families, and bringing them to Christ. 
Note, often what we tend to do, and I think this kind of ticks people off sometimes, is we go to them and we tell them what they need to do to become a follower of Christ. But what happens here is Andrew brings Peter and gets him to meet Jesus. He shows Christ to him. We talked about this last week. We don't want to make people followers of us. We want to say, we've found him. Come and meet the one. However that happens. There's um, some interesting Greek in verse 41. It says in the NIV, the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon. This is a little aside because I find it interesting. Most of the manuscripts actually have a different Greek word that says Andrew was the first to go get his brother. That's what most of the manuscripts seem to suggest. So and part of me thinks that's probably a better reading. You know, if, if John, the son of Zebedee, was the person who wrote this, the suggestion from all of the writers is that he was the other one. So Andrew was one and John was the other one. Now, if, if that's so, what it's saying is that Andrew went and got his brother. He was the first of these guys to go and get his brother and bring him back. We read in the other stories that John had a brother, James. And so I think the implication is in, in this passage that John also did the same thing. It, it was a natural part of the Christian experience that when you understand who Jesus is, you want your family to know him and you bring them to him. Some of you have got family members who don't yet know Christ you love them, you care about them, bring them to Jesus. Don't go in there and tell them all the things that they're doing wrong. Just bring them into the understanding of who Christ is. Let them read. Bring them to church. Invite them to events. Help them to understand what Christ has done. So he brings Peter. Jesus looked at him. In the first one, he says, what do you want? Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. Jesus looks at him, and again we have this idea, Jesus understands who this guy is. When people come, what's Peter's response? When he comes into understanding who Christ is, he finds that he's understood. He's recognized. We don't hear what the outcome of that is, except in the other Gospels we understand that Peter comes to faith in Christ. This understand that as he comes, he knows that finally someone understands him. Someone knows him. Just another little aside which I found interesting. Cephas and Peter in those days were actually more like nicknames. Like not, people weren't called Peter, but if you had a, a mate who, who used to do world wrestling or something, you might call him the rock, right? If you're really old, you might call him Rocky. It's just kind of that nickname. Do you understand? You, you know this guy. It's more in that sort of frame of mind than a real name, Peter. If you're called Peter, you're really just called nicknames. Right? That's kind of how it was. But Jesus comes and says, you're Simon, so John, and you're going to be called this. This is, this is what people think about. This is what I think about. This is how it's going to be used. It's, he's not actually named in some ways that in Matthew's Gospel until halfway through Jesus' ministry. But you get this idea that Peter, <laughs> a lot of the commentators talk, he actually kind of likes this nickname. I like being called the rock. Right? The hunk. Whatever. 
people get that. Yeah, this guy knows me. He, he appreciates me. And, and Jesus understands and he welcomes. This is the second point. Third point. So that's the second. Family. Bring them to Jesus and they will understand that he knows them and can relate to them. And if you are not yet a follower, come. Evaluate Christ and you will find that he meets our needs because he knows you. He understands who you are. He knows and he meets you where you are. He doesn't expect you to reach some standard before he has this interaction with you. He understands where we come from. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Most likely, he's heading on a two-day journey to Cana, which is in the beginning of chapter 3 for the wedding. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Andrew went and found Simon. Jesus goes and finds Philip. Third thing. Why did Jesus wander around looking for Phil? We're not told, but we're given a hint. Philip came from the same town as Andrew and Peter. It is hypothesis, but a lot of the commentators would talk through this idea that in their conversations with Peter and Andrew with Jesus, they're saying, hey, we know someone. We know someone who would like to know you, who we think would be great if you had in your group of followers. It'd be really great if we could find this guy and you could meet him because he would be someone who would, who would follow. It'd be fantastic. What do we take as a church away from that? In all of this, the initiative is God's. Sometimes it's difficult to find opportunity, if you like, to bring folk to Jesus. And we have this understanding here that Jesus goes and finds people himself. And if it is because Andrew and Peter have been talking through about Phil, which I think makes sense because of that verse that comes afterwards. What we have to do in part of our evangelism is to do the same thing, and that is bring people to Jesus for him to go and find them in our prayers. We bring and say, hey, Jesus, I would really like this person to know you. I think this person, if you were to, to go and to meet with them and they would understand who you are, that would bring change in their life. We have an opportunity like this afternoon. We have a prayer for the lost. In other words, our family and friends who don't yet know Jesus, we meet in the conference room where we have an opportunity as a congregation, you can do this at home, of course, to come and say, Lord, these are some people we really, really love. They're people we're struggling to find an opportunity to share the gospel. We want you to meet them. We want you to go find them and bring them to yourself. It's, it's been a struggle for us to bring them into the sound of the gospel. Maybe we've tried. But we'd like you to go find them and bring them. And again, you have this understanding that when Jesus goes and meets with people, the response of people to meeting Christ is faith. When they don't have that opportunity, the outcome is not faith. But when they meet with him, not when they hear 
what they have to do. But when they actually meet Jesus and they relate with him and they understand that he understands their needs, then from that they begin to follow him. So Jesus goes and finds Philip. Verse 35. The fourth one. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We've found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Philip went and found one of his friends, one of his contacts, one of the people that he knew, maybe someone that he'd been having conversations with. And he says, Nat, we found the Messiah. But he doesn't phrase it in that term. He, he, he if you like, relates with Nathaniel where Nathaniel's at. Nathaniel, it seems, is a scholar of the scriptures. He's someone who has been evaluated and seeking things out. Uh, a Bible nerd. One of those. And Philip comes and says, we found. We found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets wrote. We found that, Jesus of Nazareth. And every time I've read in the past, Nathaniel says, Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? And half the commentators would suggest that he's kind of being derogatory here. That little town, that's 10 k's from where I live. They're a bunch of hicks. No, that's the wrong word. Um, they're... <laughs> anything I say now is going to be bad. Um, that's kind of the understanding. But I think if he is a Bible scholar, if he's somebody who has been searching these things out, he's going through his mind and he's intellectually evaluating everything and he's asking a serious question. He's bringing up, if you like, something in opposition to what Philip's had to say. He says, hold on a second, Nazareth. If I look back in the scriptures, I evaluate everything. Can anything good come from Nazareth? How can this be so? I don't know about you, but I meet a lot of my friends who are like that at times, have in the past. They're tossing up, they're evaluating, they're saying, what you say doesn't quite make sense, it doesn't make sense, it doesn't make sense. Uh, I've got these arguments, these intellectual arguments about whether this thing is so or not. Philip doesn't say, well, let's sit down, let me go through the scriptures with you and show you how Nazareth could possibly mean Nazarene. That's what Matthew tries to do. Right? He doesn't do that. He says, come and see. Come and meet the guy. I'm not going to have this argument with you. I'm not going to try and persuade you. I just want you to meet Jesus. I want you to come and evaluate and see who he is. Let him show you whether or not it's true or not. When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, again, just like with Peter, he understands, he knows this guy. Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. I know you, and you're a guy who says it how it is. You're honest. That's the sort of guy you are. And Nathaniel's a bit taken aback. He says, how do you know me? What's going on here? Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Now, again, there's cultural context about what it means to be under the fig tree, but basically Nathaniel understands that Jesus has shown some awareness of him and his past which he couldn't know otherwise than being different, than being more than just a guy from Nazareth. And his questions fade away. In meeting Christ, he almost has a, that more ecstatic conversion experience, if you like. He meets Jesus and his response is one of faith. Rabbi, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. 
Now, he's probably relating back to Psalm chapter 2, which is he's making this statement which is very similar to, to, to Andrew's statement and Philip's statement in saying, you're the Messiah, you're the anointed one. I understand that, I can see that. Fourth way, we bring people to the sound of the gospel. We bring our family and our friends that they might meet with Jesus. There are people who are struggling to meet with Jesus and we pray for them. We bring them to Christ and said, go and meet them where they are. And then there are those who are our contacts and our people who are, want to have this major discussion. He says, bring them to Jesus. Let them see who he is. And as he meets them where they are, he will answer the real questions that they have. And they will understand who he is. And then this last little bit, verse 15, we'll close here. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than that. John's bringing this into that final statement. We've had a beginning of, of, of these two disciples calling him teacher, and then Messiah, and then the King of Israel. And we have these titles of Christ coming up through the Gospel of John until right at the end, Thomas says, You are my Lord and my God. And Jesus alludes to that right in this place here. He says, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. I related to you where you are and you accept me as more than a man. I tell you it's going to be much more than that. When you get to know me, you will understand so much greater than that as you relate and interact with me. He then said, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. He's relating back to Jacob at Bethel, back in Genesis chapter 28. If you remember in that story, Jacob went and he slept upon the ground and he had a dream. And in that dream, he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending upon it. And there was God above. And he said, I'm the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. And a lot of promises. And when Jacob arose from his sleep, he made a comment. I think this is what Jesus is alluding to here. He thought, surely the Lord is in this place, on the place in which the angels of God were ascending and descending. And I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place there is none other this is none other than the house of god this is the gate of heaven you will see heaven open now just for those people who want to go back and look the greek heaven open is past tense heavens have been opened the day beforehand heavens are opened and the angels are ascending descending and he says on christ on this place so in if he was going to rephrase this as Jacob said, it would be something like this. Jesus is saying, you're going to see that the Lord is, is on me, Christ. How awesome I am. There, I am none other than the house of God. I am the gate of heaven. You see me now and you relate to me as teacher, as rabbi, as a messiah. As you relate with me further, it's going to grow into that thing where you understand that I am I'm God and I show God to you and I relate God with you and I bring you access into the very presence of God. Let me encourage you. If you have not yet come to faith in Christ, you've got 
arguments, concerns, issues, background with people who have done things in the name of Christ and hurt you. This passage says, in one sense, not putting that aside, but in that situation where you're at, come to Christ. Not come and have this pro forma of ways that you must do things. But just come and examine him. Listen to what he says. Read about his life. Find out what he's like. And you will see that he knows you. He meets you where you're at. He understands your needs. He understands your future. And he wants to bring you into a relationship like that so that he can show you the heavens opened up and you can have a relationship with God. That's what he wants. And if you come and meet him, John says, this is the testimony that those who have the opportunity to meet Christ like that come to follow him. And those of us who are followers of Jesus, let me encourage you. Get your friends, get your family, to whatever opportunity, bring them to Christ that they might meet with him. And if you're really struggling in that, ask Christ to come to them. Maybe do that anyways. Let's pray. Jesus, we want to know you. We want to spend time with you. I ask that you might encourage each of us this day to spend some time with Jesus. That wherever it is we are in our journey of following you, then we might understand that you know us, you love us, you care for us, and you want to bring us to that point where we have this relationship with you as your disciple. Father, I pray for those of us who struggle with sharing our faith. Help us to truly understand and know you so that it's a natural, joyous reaction to bring others that declaration that we have met the Messiah, the Saviour of the world. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.